Welcome back, guys, to episode 31 of the JPS Podcast. This is the first episode of 2018, and I am honoured to have the very soon-to-be-cool, now that his air conditioner is on, I presume, or maybe it's the heater, Andy Morgan on the show, turning it off. Uh, welcome, Andy. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm turning it off. I'm the... I'm in the Northern Hemisphere, and I'm not having a heat wave like you guys right now. What is it, 40 what? It, it was 43 degrees the other day, but Melbourne weather's quite unusual. We were down to, I think it was like 23 or 24, uh, within an hour that day. So that's Melbourne. But yes, a heat wave uh, at the moment. So a lot of topless guys walking around, a lot of uh, girls wearing less clothes. You know how it is. Try Fantastic. Trying to stay cool. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, if you don't know who Andy is, I'll give you a little background uh, as to what he's all about. He's a fitness coach, has been doing so since 2011, so in my opinion, quite successful because as we know, the tenure in the fitness industry isn't too long, so he's outlasted most people and doing a great job uh, with his own practice. Uh, he's an author, he's published two books, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but The Last Shred and The Muscle and Strength Pyramids. Is that still where you're at? Yep, yep that's correct. Awesome. Yep. And yep. he's got two very informative websites, which blows my mind because I can't even keep up with one. So <laughs> he's got rippedbody.com and athletebody. Is it? Do they say Japan or is it JP? I've never known. Yeah, yeah. Dot JP. Yeah. Dot JP. Cool. Um, and that's because Andy lives in Japan. He's in Osaka. Um, which is very cool, one of my favorite places, so I envy Andy quite a bit. He's uh, got a lot happening for him, and there's no surprises as to why that is, and that's why we've got him here today to talk about all these things. But Andy works primarily with men, which is pretty cool because most uh, coaches want to work with females because they're typically the ones who are going to invest more in their uh, you know, fitness and physique, and I've was quite interested when I did initially see that Andy worked primarily with men and thought it was really cool. So we're going to talk about everything related to male physique development today. So he's worked with over a thousand people, which is massive. Um, and yeah, we're going to discuss some things as it relates to setting goals as it being the new year, many of you will be setting resolutions. So we're going to discuss uh, how you can go about that and make 2018 much different to your previous uh, years and, you know, miserable resolution attempts. Andy, did I miss anything there? Sorry for the long-winded intro. Did you miss anything there? Uh, no, I think that's good, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it all. Awesome. Awesome. So, as you all know, the new year's in full swing and many of you will no, be, no doubt be setting yourself some resolutions and at the very least entertaining the idea of committing to change as it relates to your fitness goals. So we're going to be talking to Andy about how you can best approach new year's resolutions in order to ensure that uh, in the coming months you're not back to square one or worse further from where you want to be. So Andy, before we begin discussions on all things goal setting and success in physique development, why is it that you work primarily with men and what attracted you to this specific demographic besides being a male, obviously? That, no, that, that is it. I'm cool. a male. Um, I know how to relate to men. Um, five to ten years either side of my age range best. Yep. Right? Um, also, I happen to have um, 
a lot of friends that are older than me. I would say, I would say generally we can relate to people five years either side of our range range. It depends on who you're hanging out with, obviously. Um, because you've come, because we're getting older, not getting younger, um, we understand what it's like to be a 20-year-old. We don't necessarily understand what it's like. To, so I'm 34. We know what it's like to be 20. We don't necessarily understand what it's like to be 50. Um, however, I do happen to have quite a few friends that are older. And um, so I can see things from their perspective as well. And I've, I've worked with um, quite a few older people as well. I, I say older. Um, I typically work with people between 27 and, say, 50. That's my staple. Yeah. And as for why men, um, this is what I know best. I know how men, some men, think. Um, I cannot pretend to understand how women think. And I think I could study a lot um, and still not get there. And that's fine. I'm perfectly happy to niche down into the demographic that I like to work with. And that's experienced male strength trainees, um, generally successful in other areas of their lives. So they're not whingers, complainers. They're not down, depressed. They're not looking for a pep up, right? They're already crushing it elsewhere. They just want to get this part, the physique aspect, on lockdown. Maybe they've hired someone to coach them in other areas of their lives. I'm sure when their car's screwed, they go to a mechanic, right? When they, um, they uh, injure themselves, they go and see a physiotherapist, right? That why wouldn't they outsource the decision-making process for this? It's those kind of guys that I work with. That's awesome. And obviously, many fitness professionals give the New Year's resolution as a hard time. And many blokes, obviously, uh, come back after the New Year's carrying a little bit of extra uh, beef, a few too many beers, all the rest of it. Um, what are your thoughts on New Year's resolutions? Is this a good time of year the end of another chapter to initiate some form of change and you know maybe kick into gear or do you see it as uh, people excusing their inability to do what they should have done you know for the other 12 months of the year I don't think it matters um, whether they are excusing it or not because they're never going to be any younger than they are today so they may as well start today and the younger you are the easier it is to gain muscle that you'll be able to hold on to for the most part into your old age, which is a key determinant of the quality of life mm -hmm. at the tail at the tail end of life. Mm -hmm. Now, although, okay, so what do we do? We get people stacked and ripped, right? Yeah. Does stack translate in Australian? Jack. Do you we use call the it same phrase? Jack. Jack. Stacked. Yeah. Jack. You get people jacked, right? Now, this is what people are thinking about right now. But but when you're at seventy five. 80, can you get yourself off the toilet or are you going to need to be in assisted care? Well, I'll tell you something. If you've been training now, if you've been putting that money in the bank right now and investing in your physical health, then you are going to be able, you're going to be more able in your old age. And that's really, really important. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what a lot of people uh, don't see is that they'll probably end up having to invest in paying for their health later if they don't do it now. And mm. there's not necessarily an equal uh, trade-off there, um, you know, which is a big issue. So 
I agree with you in that it doesn't matter what only so matters. I, sh- I should come back. Yeah, sorry. I should come back to your question. So is now <laughs> a good time? Yeah. If, I think starting something in December for many people, starting something mm-hmm. for many people isn't a good idea. If they're already on their journey, then there's no problem in leveling stuff up in December at all. But it's a busy season in many countries, many most countries around the world, right? Um, you've got some form of religious celebration, so Christmas for us. You've got New Year's parties. You've got end-of-year parties at work. You've got um, all of these things going on. So if you're trying to stick to a diet or a training regimen, you can get many things, hangovers, um, you know, dinners that are just going to spoil it. And unfortunately, many people get themselves into this all or nothing mindset, Mm -hmm. which I think can be helpful at the start until people get into a pattern, until habits. Um, But that will screw them up. So right now, you've um, I don't know what it's like where you are. Um, No, actually, I do. I was there, actually, last week, um, in Sydney, anyway. Um, (laughs) And it seems like everyone's having a good time. Um, (laughs) But maybe I'm just going out to the right places. Anyway. (laughs) Here in Japan, in Tokyo, it's dead. It's winter. Nobody's going out. The bars are dead. Everybody's broke after Christmas and New Year. And now's the time to get serious about stuff, right? So now's the time that you can get into these positive habits. But once you get them locked in after, say, four or six weeks, that will carry you through. So I think this is a great time. I think for us... Um, me and you as coaches and also the people listening to this podcast, you might be coming into the gym this month and, and hating these people who are now taking up your deadlift station and really screwing up your timing, right? I get it. I understand that. But from their side, they've come into the gym. They've maybe read an article. They've thought, oh, you know, I've got, a, I've got a deadlift here or whatever exercise they're doing. And they're very conscious, self-conscious that they don't really know what they're doing, but they're trying to put on a good go of it. So don't immediately hate on them. Try and celebrate them and try and inside be cheering them on and hoping that they're there in February and March. Because other people getting fit, other people getting in really good shape doesn't drag you down in any way unless you're that crab in the bucket mentality person mm. trying to drag other people down. Tall poppy syndrome. Right? I'm, I'm in the, yeah, exactly. I'm in the abundance mentality, right? If more people get in shape, that only drags us all up. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And you mentioned something that was really interesting, which I wanted to discuss, which was the best way to approach a new year's resolution. And for many Um, it is an all or nothing overhaul type approach. It's like, okay, January 1st, I'm not eating carbs or whatever the case may be, you know, I'm going to train seven days a week. But, and you mentioned that this may be useful at the start, but then may bite them in the ass, so to speak, later down the track once those habits are ingrained. So can you speak to that end as to what the best way to approach uh, a new year's resolution would be? Should people go head first or should they start learning to, you know, Swim with the floaties on before they go in the deep end. Swim with the floaties on. Floaties. That'll be your, that's your, that must be your, your armbands on, yeah? Yeah, armbands. Love it. <laughs> I knew there'd be a few uh, terms that would be, uh, would be uh, missed by the language. Yeah, 
All right. So I think, so, so let's, there's two types of people we're speaking to here. There are the people that are just going to get into things or getting back into things. And then there are people that are training others who are going to be getting back into things. So let's talk about those people who are um, looking to step foot in the gym and maybe start a sensible nutrition strategy. It's essential to understand that your calorie balance is going to determine whether you gain or lose weight, and then your macronutrient profile is going to determine largely where that comes from. Um, now, training is essential. So your training, and you need to educate your clients on this, or if this is just you, you need to fundamentally understand this. When you're looking to lose weight, let's say you look at yourself in a mirror and you identify, I need to primarily lose fat. If you train, you will signal to your body that when you're in a calorie deficit, you want to keep hold of that muscle. That's the signal. All right, so you want to train hard, hard enough so that your body hangs on to the muscle. Now, the more experience you have, the more training you need to do. Right, so if you don't have a lot of experience, then two, three days a week in a gym, perhaps full body each time is going to be enough. And that's great. And um, when you're in a muscle gain phase, let's say you're looking in the mirror and you're, you're feeling pretty skinny, and you are skinny, then you want to um, set your eat enough that you're gaining weight steadily, perhaps a, a pound, two, perhaps if you're skinny, two to three pounds a month, let's say. And um, then train hard. And that is signaling to your body to turn the protein, carbs, and fats that you're um, giving your body uh, to um, turn that into muscle. Now, what does the average person who's jumping into the gym right now, i.e. not, not um, a slot who've been in it all of last year, what do they need to know? Do they need to set their fat intake at somewhere between 15 to 25% if they're in a caloric deficit because carbohydrate is important for maintaining training intensity. However, if they're in a bulk, we're going to go with 20 to 30%. Nah, not really. All they need to do is make sure they're getting enough protein and then filling out the rest of the calories however they want. Maybe they don't even want to bother counting calories yet and they just want to look at getting enough protein in their diet. So I would say those are the getting enough protein, I would say is, it sounds really basic, but that is something that um, if you knew or if you've got a new client, you want to ensure that they do. And you can give them some examples of what that might look like um, in terms of food. Uh, now, the next thing that I think people should be looking at is getting enough sleep. So being disciplined enough so that they go to bed early enough so that they don't wake up sleep deprived, so that they can Let's say they want to get up early before work and train because they know at the end of the day they're just not going to be consistently able to do that because they've always tried to do that. At the end of the work day, they'll go to the gym, but they're like, no, I just want to go home and relax because they've just had a hard day at work. Well, maybe the answer, if that is you, is to wake up earlier and go to the gym. But if you're going to do that, you need to sleep more. So instead of being on your couch, watching Netflix, the latest Chappelle is brilliant, by the way. Um, or scrolling for your Facebook feed, or swiping on Tinder, whatever you're doing, um, these are obviously all my vices, um, <laughs> then you need to 
take that hour that you just wasted and put it in the bank and go to put it in a sleep bank. Because if you don't, if you are sleep deprived, then you're going to be, you're not going to be able to recover as well. You're going to lose muscle as well as fat if you're in a, um, a diet phase. And if you're looking to gain weight, then you're not going to um, gain as much muscle as you could because you're not going to recover as well from your workouts. And then another thing that people need to look after is their stress levels. So if you're chronically stressed, this is going to affect your sleep quality, your hunger and irritability, general lethargy. And so you might think, okay, well, what can I do about my stress levels? Well, if there are certain people that you can cut out of your life that are just giving you shit all the time, sorry if I don't know if I can swear. No, you can swear. Get us. Then consider whether you need them in your life right now or whether they need to be cut, right? Um, now, obviously, that that isn't the case for everybody, but I think um, sometimes some people are too nice and they need to be a little bit firmer about people's claims on their time. Um, now, another thing that I've found that has helped clients a lot, um, especially those in very stressful jobs, and they're trying to balance their um, their career and their family life and then their training life as well, is that they don't end up having much time for themselves. And um, from the second they wake until the second they go to sleep, they're always on their phones. So if you can... Um, get away from your phone um, towards the end of the day. So maybe an hour before bed, no screen time. That will help you sleep faster. And in the mornings, um, perhaps have some quiet reflective time. Um, now, if you need to be disciplined about that, I like to use the Headspace app. Um, it's a meditation app, which sounds really right woo-woo. But about 10 minutes. The person I'll be speaking to you is a Brit. And his name is Andrew, so obviously he's awesome. Uh, and he'll take you through some guided meditations, but it just helps you get out of your head. And, um, another thing, uh, we got some nice deadlifting going on out there, which is great. I can hear that. Um, and another thing that um, my clients have found useful is a, a, writing a gratitude journal. Mm. Uh, and I find this useful as well. Um, I use the five-minute journal. You can buy it as a physical book or an app on your phone. And... You start the day and you write three things that you want to achieve for the day and what you're grateful for that happened at the end of the day. Three things that you're grateful for. Three things that were awesome in that day. And it teaches you to appreciate the smaller things. And uh, that people can find that very, very helpful, I found. Yeah, I definitely agree in all of that. A lot of really useful tips there. And I guess it takes out the complexity of it, which is something that um, was evident through all of those points is that it doesn't need to be super complex to start. You know, I think it's Oakham's razor states that often the best solution is the simplest solution. Um, so I think that's very much uh, what Andy is uh, saying to you guys is that if you're going to make a start, don't think that you need to have some elaborate, uh, overly sophisticated program to make a start. Just start doing the basics and start with, you know, what's going to be uh, easy to get your head around uh, in the first place. So great advice there, Andy. And 
In terms of getting back into a normal routine, um, this is obviously something that people, especially in Australia, just to give you a bit of context, struggle with because our Christmas period is very elaborate now. We are we start going on holidays and the whole festive season around mid-December and then everybody starts coming back mid-January. So it's a full four-week break. So in terms of having such a long time with, you know, disjointed routine or, you know, a lack of structure, how do you approach uh, getting routine and structure with your clients? What are some of the things uh, that you would advise people to do to get themselves back on track, so to speak? Okay, so the first thing I'd say to you is when you get back in the gym, you can expect your strength to be down significantly. Um, don't be shocked by that. You haven't suddenly lost a load of muscle. It's just your body's kind of forgotten how to lift, let's say, and it needs um, a few sessions to just get back into that. Um, obviously, the longer time you've had off, the more that will be prevalent, but muscle isn't lost quickly. Um, so don't worry about that. Um, it's kind of like your cardiovascular gains. Um, these are primarily chemical adaptations and these come and go quickly. Um, muscle is uh, physical and um, this does not disappear um, quickly, so don't worry about it. Um, then I would say if you are struggling to get back into the habit of waking up on time, I would just say force yourself to even if you went to bed late the one night, I would say force yourself to wake up early because that will break you. Because then by the evening, you're shattered and you're going to want to go to bed at 10 p.m. anyway, which will then enable you to get up at 6 a.m. much easier. Um, and for people who are, let's say they've, they want to get into the habit, but they know that they only need, say, three days of lifting. I would say set yourself a target of doing some form of physical activity. So let's say you do your three days of lifting. You do um, full body three days. Um, the other three or four days a week, do some form of cardio, whether formal or informal. So that could be 30 minutes of walking outside in the mornings. Um, or it could be a swim, or it could be a jog, um, or whatever machine you fancy of actually going to the gym, just to get you into the habit of doing something each day. Mm -hmm. And I'd also, if, if you're not single, I'd get your partner and your family on board with what you're doing. Um, just tell them your goals, tell them your reason why, and... Make sure that they understand it so that they're there to support you, so that they're not going to uh, break your balls, so to speak, when you do wake up early or go to bed early, um, or when you don't have as big a portion as you had before of food, or when you say no to that beer, that extra beer, or when you um, Yeah, when you do something that is out of the norm for you, because ultimately for us to change, we need to do something different. And those around us don't necessarily like that very much. Um, so I would, that's another thing that I would highlight there. Um, one, one more thing, um, 
as you're dieting down, so let's say it comes March, April, um, if you don't actually have that much fat to lose, but you still want to lose fat, people might comment, oh, you you look skinny. Um, and that will be because, number one, they don't understand what you're doing. And number two, um, you're wearing perhaps the same clothes that you were before, and therefore you do look skinnier. So just bear in mind you might need to go a size down um, and don't lose confidence in what you're doing. You know, And also people, um, they don't like change. So let's say, let's say you're a 200-pound guy, but really you should be 180 if you're lean. Or actually that's a bit unrealistic unless you're properly tall. Let's say you're a 180-pound guy and you really should be about 160 if you're really lean, right? People have gotten used to your slightly meaty face, but when you lean out, that's going to lean out as well. And the only thing that they're going to see as it comes into these colder months in Australia is, well, does it get cold there? Oh, in Melbourne it does, right? I'm just joking. Um, they're only going to see your jawline, right? And so if you're wearing bigger clothes, if you're wearing loose clothes and if you're covered up, they're not going to see how chiseled you've got because it's no longer the summer. So just bear that in mind as well and just have confidence in what you're doing and set out to achieve. Yeah, awesome advice. It's uh, yeah, very true. It looks like you've uh, been on some serious uh, illicit substances when you've been dieting down for a while. The face starts to sink in and you're wearing the baggy clothes with the hoods. Uh, in winter and walking the streets in the early morning, people start to, you know, take a step to the side to make sure that they don't get in your way. Um, but really good points there. And I guess to backtrack a little bit and before we, you know, set out to achieve this goal, we need to set the goal itself. So I wanted you to talk about where people really fuck up in terms of setting goals. Like why is it that people absolutely suck at setting goals and achieving them. Like I think I was reading that 9% of resolutions succeed with over 40% of the population actually setting resolutions. So it's quite a staggering, uh, you know, amount of failure, you know, in terms of these resolutions. So how can people set themselves up for success and actually set a goal that they can achieve that's in line with what is realistic and enjoyable, so to speak? Sure. So, I mean, this comes down to, so I've co-authored these books, The Muscle and Strength uh, Training and Nutrition Pyramids with uh, Eric Helms and Andrew Valdez. And the base, in these pyramids, we cover what is most important for success. And at the base, your base is most important, of course, that foundation level is adherence. So it comes down to people setting their diet and training plans up in a way that they cannot adhere to, or they have over-inflated um, expectations of what they can achieve. So uh, let's run through this. Uh, if you are dieting and you're fat, you've got a lot to lose. Um, that's okay because you're saying goodbye to the person you are now. And one thing I'd say to you, if you are obese or if you've got a lot to lose, however you identify yourself, you are not a fat person. You may think you're a fat person. You may identify yourself, I am Fat Freddy, right? You are not, right? You have a lot of fat on your body right now. You are Freddy. 
you're not a fat man. You're going to say goodbye to that. Say goodbye to that identity and create your new identity. So don't be down. You can do it. If that's you, try to aim for, say, 0.75 to 1% of your body weight a week. So let's say you're, two, um, you're 250 pounds. It's about 130 kilos just to the uh, Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. Aussies with the metric system. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. You do kilos <laughs> like us, yeah. Yeah, so, so let's say you're... Let's say you're, you're 115 kilos, you can lose a kilo a week. Now, if you're leaner, let's say you're 75 kilos, your risk of losing um, muscle along with fat is greater because your body has a harder time accessing the fat versus the muscle on your body, the less fat we have. And so you want to lose weight at a slower rate. So we'd recommend about 0.5% of your body weight per week. So what would that look like for someone who's 70 kilos? Well, that would look at about 0.35 kilos a week. And that really is a rate that you're looking at sensibly losing. Now, how does that actually look in reality? Well, You've gone off for Christmas and you've eaten a load of mince pies, maybe had a lot of barbecue because you're Australian and you love your barbecue and I don't blame you because I'd be doing that if I was in some nice sunny weather for Christmas as well. Um, but no, I've been eating my mince pies because I was in England for Christmas and I've been having lots of cake, lots of potatoes, loads of carbs, right? And all the food. So what does that mean? It means my gut is full of food. It means I'm fully uh, glycogen loaded, so to speak. It means my muscles are full. It's going to be due to that extra carb intake, the extra food intake generally, and I'm going to have a lot of water in me. And when I go on a diet, I'm going to cut up my carbs, and that is going to lead to um, water losses. And also, because I'm eating less, I'm going to have less content in my gut and so i can expect in that first week to say lose three to five to six to seven pounds depending on how big you are and how much you over it or that first week or two but after that you'll see the real rate of weight loss so ignore that first week ignore that first those first two weeks of data is what i'd say to people now the other thing the other way when people go on a dream bulk um you said, <laughs> have you ever had a dream bulk? Yeah, of course, of course. I was yeah. back on the bodybuilding.com forums. I remember all the uh, yeah, gallons of milk and all the rest of it. Oh, man. The good old so, days. The good old days. Um, a dream bulk is where people, they eat a lot, gain weight rapidly, and in the, with the thinking that it's going to be mostly muscle, when actually you're mostly gaining fat. Unfortunately, the rate at which you can gain muscle is slow. Um, the more training experience you have, the slower it's going to be. Natural pro bodybuilders, natural pro bodybuilders, i.e. no drugs, um, their stage weight year to year is basically the same. 
they might gain half a pound. Or they just hold uh, on to more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you're a newbie, you might gain per month one to one and a half percent of your body weight as muscle, let's say. Did I get that right? One to one and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and then if you are uh, intermediate, maybe 0.5 to 1 percent of your body weight a month, and then if you're advanced, 0.5 and less. All right, so what I'm saying to you here is, don't think, oh yeah, I'm advanced because I've been going to the gym four years. Yeah, well, have you been training properly? Do you really have four years of serious experience? If not, good, that's a good thing because that means you have more potential to grow. But let's say that you are 70 kilos and you're looking to gain, you're a novice and you, or you've been faffing around with your training and you and you know it, right? You don't want to admit it, but you're like, oh, shit, I kind of read some crappy advice. And you hadn't been putting in the effort, but now you found a solid program. And or you've, you're in a good gym environment, so you're training hard now. So you're like, okay, I'm 70 kilos. I am um, six foot tall, 5'11". Um, I've got a shot at gaining 1.5% of my body weight, so I'm going to go for, say, two kilos a month. Uh, no. Sorry, a kilo a month. Um, but I understand I'm going to have to gain a little bit of fat with that. So I'm going to shoot for 1.5 kilos a month of weight gain. Okay. Now, um, that would be a sensible rate of gain. That still feels slow, unfortunately. What you don't want to do is then gain weight at three or four kilos a month because that extra is just going to be fat, unfortunately. So you just set your appropriate caloric surplus, eat enough protein, and train your ass off. And then nature, your genetics, are pretty much going to determine how much of that is muscle versus fat, how much of that potential you gain. And then also, of course, sleep, stress, um, your training program to a lesser extent, um, effort to a greater extent, um, are going to determine the rest. Awesome. Yeah, really good advice there. And I, I would agree with everything said uh, 110%. And what I wanted to ask you was, so we've set this foundation for people who are looking to lose fat, build muscle, setting the appropriate rate of loss, um, and then having you know a plan that's something they can actually adhere to uh, as they go. But we know that setting the plan is not necessarily the hard part because many people have a plan or they have a goal and they understand these things. It's in the execution of that plan that people really start to come undone once um, this goal or resolution is no longer a priority at that moment and other things start to pop up. Um, they fail to execute this plan and then they're back to square one and they're trying to do the same shit over and over and over. So what are the key traits and commonalities in mindset that you've seen in your clients who can successfully set the plan, execute, and then make that transformation that they want. Sure. So, uh, um, so two things I want to talk about here. So one is motivation, and motivation comes from understanding why you're doing it, and why you're doing it is important because that's going to carry you through during the tough times. Um, the other part is setup is one side of things, but then knowing how to adjust things is key really um that's what the lash red book is about um but 
if you don't want to count your um, calories and macros, let's say, there is a way of doing that. So let, let's talk about the actual implementation of it. Let's say that you have um, calculated, you've used a calorie and macro calculator and you've set up your diet and you're supposed to be losing half a kilo a week, but you're not. Or you're supposed to be gaining 0.25 of a kilo a week, but you're not. Why? What do you do? Did you calculate wrong? Is your metabolism screwed? Is uh, was was uh, was Andy Morgan's calculator wrong? Oh, hang on. This is written by Eric Helms. Like, surely he knows what he's talking about. Well, all of these calculations—they're just estimates, and the estimates. These formulas were based on averages, and they're an estimate for you. You're going to be anywhere between fifteen and twenty percent either side that in a range unfortunately so you need to set your calorie intake your food intake and then track it and then adjust based on that baseline so let's say some people listening are not going to want to count the calories and macros that's okay if you eat the same six eight ten meals on rotation every day and let's say every day you have um two palms worth of protein, so that might be two chicken breasts, and you have a protein shake, one heaped scoop, and you have two fists of carbs, no, let's say three fists of carbs in a day, and you have a fist of vegetables with each meal, and you have one fist of fruits, right? How would you go about adjusting your diet? Let's say you don't wanna count anything but you are prepared to eat the same meals over and over because you've taken the time to create meals that you enjoy that are, um, I don't want to say healthy because that's a loaded word, that are going to help you meet your goals. Um, well, if you're not losing the weight you expected, remove a fist of carbs from your day. So let's say you were eating three fists of pasta, then have two fists of pasta and then track over another couple of weeks and see how you go. Mm -hmm. When you're bulking, same principle. Add in another fist, right? That's a really simple method of doing things, right? That's a simple method of, you, you can get shredded that way. I've got shredded that way without counting calories or macros per se. Yeah, there's many ways to skin the proverbial cat. Yep, yep. Um, so don't, if, if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with the uh, calorie counting or macro counting right now, that's something that you could um, you could do, or if you have clients, and then of course you can calculate things in the background, but you could give them an example of what that might look like, and then help them come up with meals that fit their macros, and then and you you don't even have to make them think in terms of macros. You could just have them think in terms of those meals. Um, Obviously, you need to be a little bit careful there based on the rules and regulations of what you can and can't do um, because saying eat this specifically um, uh, in many countries in, is in the realm of reg registered dietitians only. But anyway, I hope that helps from there. What to do side of things. Now, when it comes to motivation and following through, it's really important that you have a reason why. So my most successful clients, the ones that have made the biggest change and sustained it 
in the long term are those that had a very solid grounding in why. So before I take a client on, um, I have a, of course, I have a chat with them. Um, I do everything in an email, actually. Um, but I have it's about 12 or 13 questions that I ask. And um, after I've asked them about their goals in about question five or six, um, the seventh question concerns their why. Why do they want this? Why are they doing that? Why? May I do this with you right now? Of course, let's do it. What's your goal right now for this year? Well, uh, the one that's going to be most relatable to the listeners is I'm competing mm. uh, in bodybuilding in September, October. Awesome. Mm. Um, why? Because I want to put everything uh, that I've learned since my previous contest prep season uh, into the plan and show myself that you know what I've learned is uh, far superior and effective than what it was back then. Why is that important to you? Because I care about the quality of service I provide to my athletes and I want to be able to know um, what it feels like to go through my current methodologies versus my previous methodologies. Boom. So you see what we've done there? We've gone through three layers. So the first was what you're actually doing, your goal, your target, right? And then, then there's the why, which is self-centric, and then there's the why, which is external to you. And ultimately, you want to check that you can apply it to yourself so that you have the confidence mm -hmm. that you can apply it to your clients. Right? That is very powerful, and that's going to help you when you're six weeks out and you are starving. <laughs> you will be starving. Anyone who hasn't competed, like – your star, it is controlled starvation. The body doesn't want to be at 5% body fat. 5% body fat, by the way, is what many people think is 0% body fat. It just looks like it's 0% body fat. Um, you, you're starving. Nobody can walk around like that, right? So what's going to carry you through? What's going to help you get out those extra, those extra reps on the leg press when she's just got no energy at all? Uh, it's this, it's so thinking why? of your clients. Right? Yeah, so thinking through the reason why, keep asking yourself why until you come to something powerful. Some of the most powerful examples that have carried my clients through are, one is the military guys, they want to be in tip-top shape, so that if the shit hits the fan, they can get one of their boys out of there. Then you've got people, and this is very common, um, they've just had a kid, or their kid started moving around, and they find that playing on the floor with them is a pain. Their knees hurt, you know, their body just doesn't move how they remembered because they haven't been playing on the floor for quite a while. And all of a sudden, uh, your three-year-old boy wants to play trains and you just hate life down there on the floor with him. Well, they haven't but been you... on the floor playing around for at least nine months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like, you've got... <laughs> so, you've got... That motivation. Then you've got, say, someone goes to the doctor and they have a bad blood test result, and they're like, oh, shit. Well, I've got a family and responsibilities, and my wife doesn't work. and Or, or maybe she does, but, like, you know, we're a dual-income family, and what am I? You know? It's not like me, me, me. Am I going to live? It's external to them. Those are the most powerful um, uh 
motivators. Now, when it comes to, let's say you're already lean, you're all in good, already in good shape, right? Um, what is going to take you from having a fluffy kind of blurred six pack to being shredded lean but not stage shredded? How do you get there? Why do so many people struggle and stay around at that level? Well, it's because it doesn't matter to your health or your family or your girlfriend whether you are 7% body fat or 11% body fat. It doesn't matter when you're out at the bar whether you're 7% body fat or 11% body fat. Maybe you think it matters when you're at the beach. But generally, the difference between 7 and 11 is just a case of whether you're going to attract and impress other dudes (laughs) rather than women, mostly, right? You have to do that for yourself. Why do you want that? For your own mastery? So that I look at a guy who's shredded lean and doesn't need to be, and I'm like, yep, that guy's disciplined. I respect that. Maybe you want to do it to scratch the itch for being lean for the first time. Maybe you look at Instagram and you look at the sea of Instagram idiots and you're like, damn, how can they get lean and I can't? And use that as motivation. I'm smart. I got a good job. I went to a good school. I went to a good university. If they can do it, I can do it. I'm going to do it, right? Something like that for yourself, right? Or maybe it is something even simpler. You want to bulk, but you know that you have to get lean first so that you don't put on too much fat so that you can control it and do that right. So defining meaning in your training and your diet is important now it is too late when the ice cream is in front of you mm-hmm. or you're at the bu- or, or, or proverbial let's say you're at the buffet and it's just a few steps over right so you need to define that now because otherwise you will wolf down that ice cream or not wake up on a Saturday morning to go and do leg day or you're like, ah, yeah, I can skip my squats. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. Now there's some brilliant points. I definitely think that uh, understanding your why is fundamental to goal attainment. So guys, make sure you do uh, dig a little deeper and ask yourself those, uh, those hard questions. So to finish up the podcast, Andy, I wanted to talk to you about online coaching. Now, as I understand it, you work primarily in the digital space with your clients um, and quite successful in eliciting some pretty impressive results. So for those who have an online coach or who are about to hire an online coach you know, in the new year, you know, what are your expectations uh, if someone is coming to you seeking your advice and how do you manage these uh, on an ongoing basis to ensure that you can effectively do your job. Yeah, that's a big question, man. Um, <laughs> okay, let, let, let's break it down. Um, so first off, I need to see... Now let, let's put this from their point of view. Before you hire someone online, consider whether you should be hiring someone online or whether you need to go and walk into a gym and see someone in person. So if you've been eating a lot let's say, and your last bulk didn't go very well and you went into the gym and you were training, it could be 
yes, it could be that your training program was shit. And yes, it could be that your training program was insufficient. But it could be that you're just in a crap gym and you weren't in an environment where you were pushed because you didn't see other people who were in great shape and you didn't see what it really actually takes. And so maybe the best thing for you is to get out of your anytime fitness and go to a gym like yours where they see people who are living it and doing it every day and they can make some mates, mates that will drag them up. Um, let's say that you're new to lifting. Well, you need to get some experience first in learning how to do those actions. So perhaps hiring someone locally to show you is going to work better than hiring someone online. So I like to check. And I've actually got that written on the application page um, on the site. I, I like to check that they are doing it for the right reasons first. I think most other things can be done very well um, online. Um, obviously... It depends whether that person is going to respond well to working online. Um, but you would hope that they <laughs> wouldn't apply if that was the case, if they get more motivated by seeing someone in person. Um, and, and I can kind of uh, feel that out because I, I have, I think, five, six emails. Um, no, sorry, there's four emails um, before any decision is made on either side. Um, so we get to feel that out, you know, and if, and if it doesn't seem for them, then that's fine. So if you're, if you're approaching someone and you apply and they don't get back to you or they're very lazy with their replies, it seems, um, if they're not written, writing well thought out responses, that's not a good sign to me. Um, if they don't have results and proof, uh, that's not a good sign either. Now, what I will say is, if they've already said that they're, they're busy and there is a waiting list and they thank you for your application and they'll be with you soon or in a few days or a few weeks, and obviously that's fair enough in that situation. Maybe there's someone like me who responds to email once a day and only from the emails the day before. Um, then you need to ask yourself whether that is okay. Because my style is not a text message like back and forth. It's, uh, okay, I'm sitting down at my computer. I'm having a look at your detailed, well-thought-out email and your data, and I'm going to write you a very detailed response. This is how I like to work. Because I think that certainly for the people that I work with um, and the personality types that that attracts, like it, it – helps educate the client more. Mm. And by giving them a little space to think by not being available 24-7, it encourages independence. That's what I've found. So have a think of what style you want. Um, yeah. And then go with your gut, man. Do you get a good feeling for the person or not? Uh, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I, that's all I'd say, yeah. Awesome, I like that. And my final question for you is, when working online, some of the biggest challenges uh, can be having an impact on that person um, due to not being able to have mm. you know, that face-to-face -face interaction. And how do you, you know, in these emails and in your communications with your clients, make sure that you can 
have an impact? You know, is it through teaching? What's your style of coaching? Or what do you think works best in these people who, you know, usually get the transformations? What have you done to, you know, make sure that your communication is meaningful? Yeah, so I think a lot of this happens before they end up hiring me. Um, and that's because I've written uh, a lot um, of articles and most people that click that coaching button on the site, they're not doing so because they've found me through a Facebook ad or Instagram ad or wherever or Google AdWord or something. Not that that's a, that's a bad thing, um, but they've read through my articles. They like my style. They have got an a feeling for me. Maybe they've listened to a few podcast interviews, uh, one like this perhaps, um, and they've decided, yeah, okay, all right. I think I've got the measure of this guy. I like the sound of that. I'm going to click on that coaching button. So they're already bought in. They already know. They already know that I, or they already feel that they know that I have their best interest at heart. Maybe I'm just a slick talker and I'm going to steal all their money, um, run away into the hills once they've PayPal me all that, <laughs> <laughs> all them dollars. Um, so they're already kind of pre-sold on the idea. They just want to see if the if I'm backing up if it's if what they've seen so far from me online is congruent. Yeah. And then also if I'm a a match for them in what they are looking to achieve and what I think they can achieve if we are to work together. So goal setting at the start is something I do. I ask them their why. And you know, we drill down on that why. And, uh, and then they pay, and they pay good money for this service. And that is a, an element of this as well, of yeah. course, because you give someone free advice, they don't follow through. We all know that. Um, so yeah, those things really, it's, it's kind of a lot of it happens before. And so I haven't really found much trouble doing that. I, I, it's very hard to be specific and say, okay, I have this one style because I, I can't say that I have mm -hmm. one particular style with coaching people. Some people are very short, like almost concerningly short the first few times it happens in their responses after I've given them a, let's say we've gone through an update, they've given me all their data and their answers. And, you know, I said, okay, right. So I think we should do this based on this. And I'm looking at this trend line here in your stomach measurements. And, um, this suggested me that we're holding on water. So my decision is we should hold on where we are right now with the macros, let's say. And they'll be like, yep, all good. Cool. See you next time. All right. No follow up questions. Nothing. Right? That's great. That's fine. But that can be some people's style or that can indicate that they're not very bought in. You need to try and suss out and read between the lines. Uh, right? Um, generally, I, I know whether they're bought in or not because they'll get sloppy in their updates and they'll start missing data. Um, they won't answer all of the questions that I ask. Um, I'll be able to see that. Um, some other people, they want to ask a lot of questions and that's okay as well. Um, but also when people do ask a lot of questions, 
some of them just want brief answers. Some of them want more detailed explanations. And some of them can benefit from me turning around and saying, well, hey, what do you think? We've been working together seven months now. You've seen how I've assessed things over time because I've explained them to you at each update. I do my updates every couple of weeks with clients. What do you think? If Imagine you or me. What do you think the decision would be right now? And I just kind of try and see where they're at. Mm. And yeah, if I was to do that early on, I think it would piss some people off. But later on, there are some people that really respond well to that. So it's, it's kind of a guessing game. You've got to follow your intuition mm. and... Uh, try and use the the right stroke for the right folk, uh, different strokes for different folks. Eh? Yeah. I love it. Andy, I've always been a big fan of your work. I appreciate you coming on the podcast so much. A lot of really valuable information for the guys listening. Guys, if you aren't already following Andy, do so. Head over to ripbody.com and athletebody.jp. He's got some awesome content over there, very evidence-based, practical and as I'm sure you can see, entertaining uh, by today's podcast. So, Andy, thank you very much for coming on, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure, and I hope this has been helpful. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you.